He's also pretty pumped. He got promoted into Power Sparks last week, and uh, this is his second or third week. So, yeah, he's, he's excited about that. Well, my name's Pete MacArthur. I'm one of the pastors here. And what I'm about to share with you this morning, I've been wrestling with all week. And I've been wrestling with it because of the significance of the claim that the Bible makes. And the Bible makes this claim, that Jesus can lead you out of any place, any problem, any pain, any addiction, he can heal you out of any place if he is allowed access to that place. Now, this is a significant claim. I've titled this message, New and True. And it's asking the question, how does Jesus' new life for us, how does the true abundant life actually work? On Christmas Day, my wife and I and our little boy we're flying from Whangarei to Christchurch. And uh, our flight needed a 40-minute layover in Auckland. Now, when we booked the flights, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. And so when we booked the flights, I thought, you know, 40 minutes, no worries. Um, get off one plane, get onto another, not a big deal. Except that our first flight from Whangarei to Auckland was 15 minutes late. And what I didn't count on was the fact that you have to go through security even though you've just taken a flight. You get off a regional flight, and in order to get on a flight from uh, Auckland to Christchurch, you have to go through security a second time. And so Sarah and I were in security where we heard those words over the loudspeaker that we thought we would never heard. We, we thought we were better than that. We thought we were not the people who hear the words, final boarding call, the flight is full, and we're waiting for you. Peter and Sarah MacArthur. And so you can imagine it, Sarah and I, she's 36 weeks pregnant, um, and we've got a two-and-a-half-year-old son. We're kind of hustling through the airport, trying to get on this plane. And of course, today is, that was the day that we had way too many cabin baggages, because as you know, we're cheapskates, and we don't like to pay for checked baggage. I was thinking about this and preparing for the message. And what I thought was this. It never once crossed my mind that we would have to wait. It never once crossed my mind because we live in a society which doesn't uh, actually have to wait for stuff. We don't expect to have to go through the waiting process in our everyday lives. When you're at McDonald's and you're waiting for your, your meal to be filled... Any more than two minutes wait, and you start looking at your watch, because uh, any more than a two-minute wait for your meal is considered in our culture unacceptable. When you decide that you'd like some kind of consumer good, like a new flat-screen TV or, or something else that you'd like from No Leaming or wherever else, uh, you already have in your mind that easy and accessible finance is available for that purchase, whether you've got the money or not. And the reason you know that is because in our society, the waiting process is something that we don't like. 
We don't like to have to wait for the things that we like. And that's, this makes us targets of advertising campaigns, even old school ones, right? Like the Ab King Pro, they tell you right there, you can go from looking like this to looking like this in just 23 days. We don't expect to have to wait. Fast and quick deliveries are impressive and attractive for us as a culture. But he, he, get this. This is, this is really vital. You've got to get this. While we appreciate fast delivery, we do not trust it. While, while we appreciate the fact that uh, we hope that things come quickly and that we don't have to wait, instinctively we understand that stuff, uh, overnight transformation, cannot be trusted. We instinctively know that lasting transformation in this life is, uh, requires a process which is often painful and takes us into a place where we have to wait. And so this morning in church, we are wrestling with this idea that on one hand, we appreciate overnight transformation, but on the other hand, we simply do not trust it. We come to the idea that God is capable of healing and restoring any any issue in your life. And that in itself is a really big call. It means for me, when you really break it down, and if you don't believe in this, that's totally fine because it is actually a significant call. It means that God can heal any issue with any government in the world today, even the North Korean government. It means that God can heal any addiction with any person on the face of the earth, no matter how far gone you or I might think they are. It means that, that the message of Christ can heal any problem in any community, no matter how deeply rooted that issue is. It's a big call. It means that any disagreement in any relationship can be healed. This is the claim of God. This is the claim that the Bible makes, that any area in your life, whether it's family, finance, addiction, anything can be healed, but the phrase is, if allowed to deal with it, if God is allowed access to that place. The Bible puts it like this in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. This is the important bit. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What an amazing promise. Let's, let's just back up a little bit. Because what you need to know is that the role of the Old Testament prophets in the Bible was to call to mind the promise of God through the Old Testament covenant, which was laid out through Moses. And what you need to know about the Old Testament covenant is that these days we can often think that it was just a bunch of rules. That that was the role of the law, was that it was 600 and something rules, and the role of the people were to follow them. It, it did involve laws and rules, absolutely. 
But the covenant law was not so much just a list of rules that you had to follow. The covenant law was a picture for all humanity of how life could be and how life should be with Yahweh, the God uh, of all people at the center of that community. The covenant law was a picture of how life could be and should be. And so as you read through the book of uh, Exodus and into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you start seeing themes of how life could be and should be. You see themes of equality amongst people, whether slave or master, whether male or female. You start seeing themes uh, and encouragements of people to trust in God. We start seeing themes of the provision of God for his people, proper worship of the law, and so on and so on. The covenant was always meant to be a picture of how life should be. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Get it and bind it upon your heart. It goes on to say this, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The covenant law that Ezekiel was calling the people back to was a picture of how life should be when everybody is functioning as they were intended by God to function. And why is that important for us today? Well, as you might have guessed, history didn't exactly work out like that. Because while the law painted a picture of how life could be and should be, it did not give you the transformation power to actually become it. It showed us where we needed to be, but did not actually help us as a humanity of people get there. Unfortunately for us, this, is, this sickness, this infection is something all of us, no matter what your religious background, instinctively understand. That people who are broken and hurt often express their pain through hurting other people. And so we enter into the cycle of, uh, of often violence, cycle of hurt, cycle of pain. That cycle, that infection the Bible calls sin. And the old saying is true, that people who are hurt, hurt people. That hurt people, hurt people. The message of God for us today, the one that's been on my heart all week, is the answer to this question, how do I break the cycle of pain in my own life? The answer is very clear and very simple. We allow God to remove the old things and replace it with the new one. We allow God to remove the old heart and to replace our old hearts of stone with a heart of flesh that beats for knowing him. For me, this is one of the most exciting ideas I've ever heard. And I almost uh, identify with you if you don't quite believe this yet because it's such a significant idea. It means that to the person who is struggling with depression, God can heal you and take you out of those dark places if allowed access to those places. It means And this is vital. I don't want to make light of anybody's experience, but it means that the person who has experienced abuse, no longer does that abuse need to have a hold on your life. And it means that forgiveness and healing is possible given the right process. It means for our community that 
in some places as a community dominated by issues of violence and substance abuse, to, uh, substance abuse for that community, it means that there is a hope for change. And that, that the current situation doesn't always have to be like that. It means that for everybody on the face of this earth, there is hope that God can ha- uh, access and heal any area if allowed to. A number of months ago, uh, my little boy Joel and I were out the, in the backyard. I was cutting down some trees and uh, he was just playing around. And what I didn't understand was what I didn't know was that the neighbor had this large thorn bush and some of the sticks from the thorn bush had made it onto our property and was lying uh, unhidden, hidden in the grass. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that until I heard the, the scream. And as we took Joel inside, I noticed a little dark um, spot on his foot and I knew exactly what it was. It was a long thorn that had become embedded in his heel. As a father, this is my question for you, as a father, in that situation, what is the most loving thing you can do? The most loving thing you can do is also the most difficult thing in that situation to do, and that is to hold down your son as he screams blue murder and remove the thorn. It was not an easy experience, but it was the most loving thing that I could have done. And so often, as children of God, when we want healing in an area in our life, we struggle with the process because it involves pain. We struggle with the process. We want the healing, but we want the automatic overnight healing where the the, the issue of the past suddenly is no longer there. But Jesus is saying, uh, you can have the healing, but it involves a process. It involves exploring the issues of the past and the pain and allowing God's love and his grace access to those plaques. The book of Ezekiel uh, reminds us that real change is possible, but get this, it requires a heart transplant. And it requires a painful heart transplant. I remember hearing a story uh, or reading a story about a guy called Pastor Rich. It's an anonymous story. Uh, We don't know who this guy is, but he was a large, uh, he was a pastor of a large church. He was a large pastor. Boy, he could have been. They didn't say that. (laughs) Pastor of a large church in the States. He'd been pastoring a number of years when the pressures of the job started getting to him. The the pressure of the finance, the constant people contact, the... uh, being the leader of a large organization and always uh, vision casting. Uh, The the pressure started to get to him and he made a series of choices where he chose to turn, instead of turn to God for relief, he chose to turn to sexual gratification. As the weeks and the months went by, Pastor Rich went on to get involved with multiple affairs as a married man. Now we hear about the story because he went to some counseling. And the counselor ended up writing a book about spiritual growth, and he uses Pastor Rich's experience and story to teach an important lesson. He says this, he, that is Pastor Rich, could have turned instead to, for strength to God, to, uh, to gain strength and comfort and the answers that he needed. It never occurred to Rich that he could turn to God to show him the source of his behavior and to help him heal from it. You see, 
like Pastor Rich, we all have areas in our lives that we have left alone. Areas that God needs to heal us from. We need to be careful in those areas that unlike Pastor Rich, we don't let them go infected and toxic and turn into a much bigger issue than the issue that they started. Come on, the call of God for you today is that you would bring the things that you have ignored into the light of Christ and have him deal with them. He can heal any issue as long as he has access to them. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, the the picture of how life should be and could be came through Moses, but the tools to get there, that is grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here and you know that God has put something on your heart, and even as I'm speaking, you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in an area of your life, here are some practical ways that you can work out the call of God to move from those stuck places into God's call. You know, Jesus and his time on earth, he, he demonstrated his ministry in these particular ways. He helped people get past the stuck places and into the new growth and new life using certain ways. And the first way is this. It starts, uh, they all start with S, is to serve. The first way is to serve others around you. Now, that might surprise you. It it, it seems logical, maybe to some, that a way to deal with your past stuff is simply to focus on yourself and dealing with your own issues. But actually, Christ encouraged his disciples to serve. A great example of this was when the apostle Peter denied Christ three times. Do you remember after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Peter had, had denied Christ three times, how Jesus reinstates him? He says this. In John 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, this is after the resurrection, and Jesus is kind of making his peace with the apostle Peter. He says this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. For the apostle Peter, there was no step down period. There was no period where he had to find himself on his own. The next step for Peter was to start serving, was to serve the body of Christ. Serving takes us from a a position when we're only looking at ourselves and projects uh, onto other people our attention and gets them to get us to start focusing on them. For me, the greatest times of growth have been when I've been serving on a team with other people around me. This is why I believe that Jesus reinstates the apostle Peter after his denial of Jesus, because it's in a context of a team when everybody is in this together and we see God moving in the activities of the team, but also in our own lives as as individual people, it is in that context that God starts to work. And for us as a church, we really truly do believe in the power of the dream team. And not just because it fills a need in the church. In fact, not about that at all. We believe as a church in the power of the dream team because it's in the context of a team when we are surrounded by other people that God does his 
transformational work. He did it with the disciples and he's doing it right here in Elam North. That that Jesus was taking a bunch of ragtag people. Come on. And he was forming them together in a team so that somebody might look on the outside and think, why is that so effective? I don't know why, but I can see the results. When you look at the disciples, you look at them and you think, why is God using these people? But I can't deny that he actually is because they faithfully served other people and look what God did in their lives. The second thing is to see, is to see your past through God's perspective. There's something about capturing God's perspective on your past events, which gives them purpose. It gives purpose to your pain. And let me give you an example that I made up. It's a tragic example. I, I want to say that because it's a tragic example, and I haven't had anybody in my mind when I've thought about this. But imagine a young lady with three small children. She has a husband who drinks, and sometimes when a husband drinks, he hits her and he hits the children. The young lady, she speaks out, she gets help. And in order to set proper boundaries in her relationship and in the life of the home, in order to set proper boundaries over that area, she moves out of the family home and she takes the children with her. Now, hear what I'm saying this morning. I'm not for one second justifying the wicked acts of the husband. Not for one second. But in order to see the past events through God's perspective, she might say to herself something like this. When healing has come, she might think to herself, I can now see that what that man did to us gave me an opportunity to teach my children a very important lesson. It gave me an opportunity to teach my children in a way that I could never have taught them otherwise what to do as a strong, independent person when someone mistreats you. God's perspective on that could be that that now this girl, this lady can show her children how to handle wicked people and keep strong personal boundaries over her life. You see, God's perspective gives purpose to the pain. It's not for one second that God caused it to teach her a lesson. It's not that at all. But he is most certainly going to bring good out of any pain that might be happening in your life and that's happening in this lady's life. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In order to move into the new life that we have in Christ, we need to acknowledge the past for what it was and to see it from Christ's perspective, from God's perspective. See how the pain is being turned around for our benefit. Finally, a part of the process that the Lord takes us through is, as he took the disciples through and he continues to take his disciples through today uh, is to, that helps us move past the areas where we're stuck is this, is the small group. First, we need to serve. Then we need to see our pain through God's perspective. And the third thing is to join a small group. 
You know, the promise of God in Ezekiel was that he would replace the old heart with a new one. That sins would be replaced with an old heart, with, with a new heart, that instead of being made of stone, is made out of worship to God. Have you ever heard of the journey in Spain called the Camino, uh, Camino de Santiago? I've, I've never done that, just so that we're clear. I don't think I ever will. It's a 600-kilometer journey through the towns of Spain. And um, I have a number of friends who have done it. It takes over a month to complete. You have to walk between 20 and 25 kilometers every day uh, for over a month, and which sounds like the worst holiday on record. <laughs> I wonder if they let you do it on a scooter or a bicycle or, I don't know, something motorized. But the interesting thing about the Camino is that it was never intended to be a solo experience. In fact, people have been doing it for centuries as some, something of a spiritual journey where they gather some people together and spend a month together walking this thing and kind of finding themselves and praying and, and walking through the countryside. It was never, ever intended to be a solo experience. So let me ask you in your life, in your spiritual journey, how much of your spiritual journey is shared with other people? It can be really tempting when everything's going well to kind of have a, a kind of privatized faith, a faith that we keep just to ourselves. But the journey of faith was never intended to be just you and Jesus. There was always a wider community that he intended to be around you. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this, that we are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This year... As a new year, 2019, why not make it a goal to get yourself in a small group, a group of people who see you as you really are, somebody who knows about your journey and is actively and intentionally walking with you on that journey. Let me encourage you to get in a small, team, a small group this year. You'll be blessed. I really believe it. As the team come this morning, let me close with a story about a man a great man that I've come to know over the last year or two. Steve Alexander is a great man who I've come to, come to know. He's one of the interns here. He's just finished his first year internship, and we're really blessed that he's choosing to come back for a second year intern on staff here at Elam. And well, What a lot of people don't know about Steve is that he came into church a number of years ago. He came into church as someone who was at a really uh, tough point in their life someone who was having a number of really rough experiences and dealing with some fairly serious addictions at that time. Steve would come in and he'd sit at the back of the church. He'd come in late and leave a little bit early. But slowly and steadily, God began to work on his heart. When we were chatting earlier this week about his journey, Steve said, I wanted God to change me overnight and quickly but I realized that it was a slow process. I realized that I needed to do the work that God was leading me to do. Over time, the darkness and the anger in my life, it, it fell away, he said. He said, these things, these are awesome. I don't take a deep breath when I see the police anymore. That's big. <clears throat> he said, back then I was unemployable, but in God I became employable. I'm, I'm enjoying life again. I have learned to love again. 
as a friend of Steve's, I'm so proud to say that in just over a month, Steve and Angela will be getting married right here in this church. Bless you, Steve. All of that to say this, that Jesus is waiting at the door of your life at whatever issue he needs to lead you out of. He is right there at the door. He is wanting to lead you in a process that will bring healing and restoration to your life. But it all depends on how much you allow him access into. That for Christ to heal an area, he must first be allowed to deal with it. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you can identify with Steve's story. You know that your life is not what it should be. You're not proud of some of the things that have kind of made it into your life. Maybe you're here and you've never asked God into your life. Or maybe you're here and uh, you've walked away from Him. And you know there are things in your life that need to shift. Let me tell you right here that a relationship with God will change your life. That He'll begin to take you on a process of healing and restoration. Things might seem hopeless and desperate, but I can tell you from experience, anything can be turned around. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Yet to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. God loves you, church. He knows everything that you have gone through and everything that has happened to bring you here. His promises to all who believe in Him, He would make them His children. He would come alongside them and bring real and permanent change. No matter what has happened to you, no matter what your life was like, Jesus is at the door of your life. He would love to come in and help you heal and help you change. So if you know that you need a fresh start, that whatever your life has been up till now, you know that you need to commit your life back to Christ. Would you pray with me? We're all gonna pray out loud. And if that's you, you just pray along with everybody else. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you know that you need to have God in, in your life, maybe you've been away from Him or Maybe you need to come to Him for the very first time. As everybody prays this prayer, would you pray along with us? We say, God, I'm sorry for going my own way. But today I choose to give my life to You. Thank You that You died to cover my sin and rose again to give me hope. God, today I'm coming back to You Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. With every head bowed, if that's you, would you just pop your hand up nice and high? I'd just love to connect with you. Get a Bible into your hands and help you take the next step in your journey. If you know that you need to come back to God today. Awesome. Well, God, we thank you. We thank you that you welcome us into your presence but you don't let us stay as we are. You put your gentle hand of correction on areas of our lives that need to shift. And Holy Spirit, I trust right now that you're doing this right across this room. Thank you that 
we can believe for you for lasting change that you might lead us to serve other people around us to see the past as you see it and to be a part of a small group where we can find healing and wholeness in Jesus name we pray Amen Thanks Pete what a great what a great message I think it's a message that